0: Good morning. morning. Welcome to Lakeland Vineyard. (laughs) Um, Just want to say welcome and uh, just welcome you in the name of Jesus. Uh, The name that is above all other names. And so uh, this morning we'd love for you to fill out a connect card. If you have that, uh, if, you, if you don't have a physical card on your phone, you can go to lakelandvineyard.org connect, fill out a connect card there. Uh, we'd love to be able to uh, grab some coffee with you or something like that, uh, get together and, with you, and just spend some time together, connect. And uh, just wanna, uh, on there, too, is a place where you can fill out some, if you have prayer needs or anything like that. And so we want to be praying with you about the things that are going on in your life. Uh, you can give online at lakelandvineyard.org forward slash give. Um, and what what is that? Well, we believe that God has called us to do that. And um, trying to explain it to someone like this, like God has given us so much. And um, let me, well, let me tell you a little story about giving real quick. Um, I'm trying to teach my kids about giving, right? And so... I realized at one point I was like, and I'm sorry to say this, but at one point I was like almost like guilting them into giving. And I was like, that's, that's not good. I shouldn't do that. And so I try to explain it to them like, like this. Like God has graciously provided for us the things that we have, the things that are provided for. If we look at that biblically, like God has provided all these things for us. And what do we say out of, out of thanks to him is we say that we, we would give something back. And so that's really what it is. We're saying, God, thank you for everything you've done. It's not, it's not oh, you only gave 9%. Your mansion in heaven is not whatever that's going to look like. Uh, is not going to be as big. That's silliness. Okay, because here's, here's what I know is to give out of a grateful heart is to give cheerfully. And out of a grateful heart when we give... What happens is this, that that God blesses us. And here's what I want to say to you. I don't mean to say it like this, that God is going to bless you and all of a sudden in your bank account, you're just going to start growing exponentially. What I mean is this, that God becomes the blessing of your life. That his overflowing blessing looked in and seen in different ways overflows around you. That is the blessing, to live in the goodness of God is the blessing of God. And so that's what the way I look at it. And so I just encourage you uh, to do that. And so just um, as we continue, we're going to fill out a connect card. All right. And if you have kiddos here this morning, they're going to go into the (laughs) building that's right outside those doors right there. Um, And so if you have those kids, you can take them uh, now during this two-minute break. And... uh, yeah, so say what's up to somebody. Fell out a connect card. If you're online, text somebody. Hey, what's popping? All right, and uh, and uh, God bless you or something like this. But here's what I'd say: be genuine with it, right? Like really, like hey, I, God bless you this morning. It might be someone that you haven't connected with in months or weeks. Hey, I just was thinking about you this morning. I just want to say, you know, God bless you. May the blessings of God be upon you. And so what we're gonna do. Two minutes here, and then we'll (laughs) be right back here. And um, I got a couple more announcements, and then we'll go from there. See (laughs) you in two. All right. Welcome back. As we say at the Lakeland Vineyard, to be hospitable, no more talking, no more fun. The sermon has begun. No, I'm kidding. All right. Uh, Hey, welcome back. If uh, you would like to, we would love for you to actually sign up for a small group. Uh, You can sign up on the back table back here. Um, Small groups, what are they? All right, They're going to be uh, places where we can connect with people, where the ministry of the Holy Spirit is taking place, where you guys can get to know one another better uh, in, a, in a smaller setting, in a home. And uh, w- one of the groups is offered online. Two of the groups are in person. And so we just encourage you to be a part of one of those groups. You can check out uh, what they're about. Uh, I would say this, a better description of what they're about is going to be online. Uh, so just find that small groups tab on our website, LakelandVenue.org. Figure out which one fits you best and go. And then they're offered on three different nights. So if you're like a small groupaholic, uh, you are. You can join all of them and just boom, boom, boom every night. And um, I'm sure if you're married, your spouse will really love that. So um, they might actually. You're gone. Okay. Good. No. Okay. Uh, and so I. Asked my dad if he would speak. Uh, I had a little thing uh, this week. I took the GRE, the graduate record exam, <laughs> the graduate record examination, um, and with the potential for getting into grad school. And so I was able to achieve a score that I needed. All right. Yeah. I know. I, I was as shocked as some of you. Um, And so, uh, yeah, it was good. God still does miracles. God still does miracles. That was was hurtful. Um, No, it was fun, though. It was not fun, but um, it was good. Yeah, and then the score came up, and I was like, yes, all right. And so it was really good. And so um, going to potentially be going back to school at a, a university called indiana Wesleyan University. I will be not moving but going online. And uh, for it will be a master's degree in marriage and family therapy. And so, yeah, I'm all that so I can get my life right. Um, and I'll finally know what's wrong with me, all right? And uh, you guys already know. So, anyways... Uh, during this week of uh, prep for that, I asked my dad if he would, um, or excuse me, not my dad, <laughs> Dave Baker, if he would um, speak this week, and uh, he graciously said yes. And so he's going to continue on with our series uh, on on John. But before we do that, what we've been doing is praying through a passage. And so if you would stand with me, and. This passage, again, we're praying this passage, um, and so it's up here on the screen. It should be on the screen. Is it there? Yeah. Okay, here we go. We're just going to pray this, and so uh, let's pray it together. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. Next. Next. So that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Now, when we pray that, that's quite a prayer. You can be seated, yeah. Uh, that's quite a prayer that we pray. Uh, that's quite a scripture that we, that we read there. You know, I want to experience, and I want to experience that through, through the death of, of Jesus, dying to myself, right, and, and becoming fully aware of the, then the power of the resurrection, and we believe this, that the power of the resurrection um, is what gives us true life. And it isn't for some way off time in the future. Um, in a relationship with Jesus Christ, we get to start to live our eternity now. And so uh, I want to welcome my dad, who you know, not his dad because that'd be awkward, um, but Dave Baker up to share with us.
1: Uh, Would you put that um, Philippians passage back up there, please? At least the first part of it. Yeah. You know what? We did that this morning. I want to thank Josh and, and Andy for that worship. You know, the word says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. And there are those times, and I believe this morning was one of those times, when we got to taste Him. We got to experience Him and His glory. And say, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised Him from the dead. And, And I believe that some of you here and some of you online... That's exactly what you needed. You got to taste him. You got to experience that this morning. And so um, pray with me, would you? Your word says that we get to taste and see that you're good. Thank you that we got to do that this morning. And there are folks online and in this building that needed that this morning. They needed a fresh fresh touch from you. They needed a fresh taste. They needed to enter into your resurrection power that's available, like Andy said, in the now. And so we give you glory for that. God, you're bigger than we ever imagined. Your glory far surpasses our understanding. We are amazed that you invited us to participate in who you are. That you are growing us from grace to grace and glory to glory so that we become like you. The world that we live in is desperate to see what you look like, to know your reality. And so what you do is you work in and through us for that to become possible. Jesus, you are fleshed out in our skin, in our lives, so that people may see what you look like, what you do, how you respond. And for that, we give you glory. Thank you for who you are and who we are in you. Amen. Amen. This morning, we're going to continue our journey through uh, John. We're going to begin by looking at John 43 through 45. And in those verses, it says this. At the end of two days, Jesus went on to Galilee. He himself had said that a prophet is not honored in his own hometown. Yet the Galileans welcomed him, for they had been in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration and had seen everything that he did. My question this morning is, okay, what did they see Jesus do? You know? And the best answer that John gives us in his gospel can be found in chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. And there it says this because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. John doesn't tell us what the miraculous signs were that Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover, but he does use the plural that indicates that more than one sign occurred. And he also indicates that those signs that occurred there in Jerusalem at the Passover impacted the Galileans enough that they began to put their trust in him. We also discover in these verses that Jesus was fully aware how weak and frail our human nature really is. Continues on in John 46-47, it says, As he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana, where he had turned water into wine. There was a government official in nearby Capernaum, whose son was very sick. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum, to heal his son who was about to die. Now there's going to be a map behind me, and I, the reason I put the, had them include the map, and some of you can't, I hope you can see the circles. If I had a laser pointer, I'd point to you and show you. The first circle on the bottom, that's Jerusalem. The second circle is Sychar. And so you see the distance there uh, from Jerusalem to Sychar is about 25 miles, and it's through pretty rough terrain, and the reason I'm showing you this is so that you get a picture of, of Jesus. See, he's not driving there. He's walking, walking 25, 20 miles to sidecar. Is it any wonder when he got to the well that Andy talked about last week that he was tired and thirsty? How many of you have ever hiked much except the group over here that I know did? Okay, it gets tough sometimes, doesn't it, Caden? And so here he is, he gets to the well, and then we go from Sychar up to Cana, where he performed his first miracle. That's an additional 25 miles. And the reason that I included Nazareth in there is it's about five miles from Cana to Nazareth. It's interesting, isn't it, that in Nazareth, his hometown, it says this, that he was not welcomed there, and he could not perform many miracles there. And it's only five miles to Cana where he performs the very first miracle. And then we look out further on the uh, northern tip of the Sea of Galilee, and that's Capernaum. And that's where the man comes down to seek out Jesus for a miracle for his his son. So I just want to let you see. This is the kind of terrain that Jesus was walking around in. This is the distance that he had to go uh, when he began To do ministry. So now what we discover is either this this man had been there in Jerusalem and saw the signs and wonders that Jesus did, or he heard about his ministry. What he knew was Jesus could heal his son, and no matter the distance and no matter how difficult it was to get there. He was going to get there to see his son get healed. He was desperate. You ever been desperate? You ever been desperate enough that you'll do whatever it takes to see something happen? That's what this man was experiencing. We go on to John four forty-eight, And I separated that for a reason. Jesus asked, Will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? Now, is there anybody here in this room or online besides me that is curious about that question? A man shows up, his son's dying, he needs Jesus to touch his son, and here's the question he asks. Will you never believe in Lee unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? And so I'm curious about that. And so I want to bring John 10, 37 and 38 into the picture. Because look what it says there. In 37 it says, Don't believe me unless I carry out my Father's work. But if I do His work, Believe in the evidence of what? Miraculous the what? Miraculous works. miraculous works I have done. So even if you don't believe me, then you will know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. How many you think maybe there's a little contradiction there? He asked this question of the man hey, what's the deal? You guys always need signs and wonders? And then he says here in, t- in chapter 10, he says, well, if you don't believe me, believe at least in those, the evidence, those miracles that I've done. So here's the question. How do we understand the question that Jesus poses? Now, if you know anything about the gospel of John, you understand that part of the foundation that he puts together when he writes his gospel, centers around seven miracles that he mentions. So it appears that he's not opposed to the miracles themselves. That's not what fueled the question. Rather, it seems he's opposed to reliance on miracles alone for building a firm foundation for a spiritual life. What Jesus wants from this man and from us is a personal love relationship with him, which will include the activities of the kingdom that are mentioned in Scripture. Nothing, not even healings and miracles, will replace a personal relationship With Jesus. I believe that's the reason for the question. Now we move on. John 49 through 54. It says that the official pleaded, Lord, please come before my boy dies. Then Jesus told him, Go back home, your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said and started home. While the man was on his way home, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked, "When did the when?" Asked them when the boy had begun to get better, and they replied, "Yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared." Then the father realized that that was the very time Jesus had told him, "Your son." Will live, And he and his entire whole household believed in Jesus. This was the second miraculous sign Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. I think there are at least four things that we need to notice from these verses. First, Jesus simply tells the man, Go home, your son will live. How confident you think Jesus was when he said, go home, your son will live? Well, since he only does what the father's doing, he's very confident of that. Now, secondly, though, you notice the man doesn't question Jesus' words. He believes him and starts going back home. How much confidence did he have that his son was going to be healed. I mean, he just doesn't question him. He just turns around and heads home. The third thing that we notice is that the boy is healed when? When, did, when was he healed? Immediately when, Jesus spoke. Immediately, when Jesus spoke the words, the boy was healed. Immediately. And he discovers that. So when Jesus speaks the words, your son will live, boom, he's healed. What was the result of that healing? It's right there in the passage. Is it up there? No. What happened? The entire family believed in Jesus. So see, Miracles and signs and wonders which are part of the kingdom reality are significant and important. They have great value. Now we go on to John 5, 1-6, and we find these words. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the Pool of Bethesda with five covered porches, Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, lay on the porches. Can you imagine? What a sight, huh? And, and it says, what does it say there? Crowds. Anybody know the definition of a crowd? If you know it, just say it. Chuck's, Chuck's, his mouth is going, but I don't hear him. What's a crowd, Chuck. Okay, it's a large group of people. Does it say the crowd here or does it say crowds? So that means there's a whole bunch of people here at this pool who are infirmed in some way. Crowds of people. And it says, and then I included verse 4. I know that 4 isn't in like the NLT and some other verses because they feel like it wasn't in the best manuscripts, but... I'm going to say it anyway because I think that whoever the writer was that added it, he added it for clarification. So I'm going to say it. For an angel of the Lord came from time to time and stirred up the water, and the first person to step in after the water was stirred was healed of whatever disease he had. One of the men lying there had been sick for 30 years years when Jesus saw him and knew he was ill for a long time he asked him would you like to get well now let me ask you this if you had an infirmity for 38 years and a man shows up and he would says to you would you like to get well how do you think you would have responded Paula says, yeah, let's go for it, right? Yeah, yes, sir, let's do this thing. The second thing I want you to notice, not only is there a large crowd or crowds of people, but notice Jesus only selects one. Out of all those people, out of that that whole mass of people that had affirmities affirmities, he chose one. You know why he did that? Because he does what the father's doing, and that's what the father was doing. And sometimes we don't like, if we're honest, the way the father operates. We think he should operate the way we think. But how many of you know that's not sovereignty? You can't force God to do what he wants to do. You ju- it just doesn't happen like that. John 5, 7, we go on. says this. Here's the man's reply. It wasn't like Paula's reply at all. He says... I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Now, what does that tell you? At least two things, but give me one of them. I know you didn't come to church to give answers, did you? I mean, after all, you come to church to get answers. And Andy's the answer man. Now, Dave, you're the answer man. No. Some of you have been going to church for years. I want your answer. He's frustrated. Okay, good. He believed his healing was going to come through the Why did he believe that, Connie? Because it had happened, right? I mean, obviously, people were healed at that pool, and so he had seen that. And he's, Pat, he's beyond frustrated, okay? (coughs) What caused him to give the response that he gives? I think a contributing factor could be that through the years, he'd seen other people healed but he had never even made it to the pool. Con- <coughs> Consequently, I have some water, so don't worry about that. And, and, and Rick told me, he said, you need to start drinking about an hour and a half. I, I did that, <laughs> and I'm still choked up. Consequently, he resigned himself to the fact that he would never be healed. So, without hope, he says, I can't. See, I don't believe for a second that the man didn't want to be healed. What I believe is he had lost all hope and given up. I want to ask you. You ever been there? You ever been there when it seems like a hopeless situation and you've almost given up completely and God intersects your life and takes that hopelessness and breathes hope into it? That's exactly what's going to happen here. Also, this man had no idea who Jesus was. He didn't know this was the Messiah that healed people. He was just, Jesus does what he does and disappears into the crowd. John 5, 8 to 15, we find these words. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat, began walking. But this miracle, but this miracle happened on the Sabbath. How many of you know Jesus isn't supposed to heal on the Sabbath? How dare he do that? So the Jewish leaders, they objected. They said to the man, who cured you? You can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry a sleeping mat. But he replied, The man who told me, who healed me, told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that? They demanded. <laughs> the man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared in the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now now you are well. Stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who healed him. Now, there are several things that we notice in this section. Because the man had no hope, it appears he had little or no faith. When Jesus speaks, he is healed instantly. How many of you know this? Jerry, you're a nurse. The guy's been, had atrophy for 38 years. Would you expect him to jump up and start walking? I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it. You avoided the question. You running for office or something? (laughs) What we have here is a man whose atrophied body, there's no way possible for him to get up and take up his mat and walk. And so what we have here is a supernatural intervention by God. The ninth thing we notice is... Legalism prevents the Jewish leaders from appreciating the miracle. Their only concern was their law had been violated. Can you imagine that? Now, I know no one in here would ever be jealous of what God might do for or through someone else. So you you have to use your imagination because none of us have ever felt jealous about what God might do through someone else. We just go, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that what we do? No, it isn't. See, legalism prevents them from appreciating what has happened to this man. Second thing we notice is that the man didn't know who Jesus was. Jesus just disappears into the crowd. Another thing that we find here is that man is instructed to stop sinning or the consequences could be much worse. Wow. Much worse than 38 years of having an affirmity. What could be worse than that? Just use your imagination. So when Jesus says that, we're talking about seriousness here. And finally, the man reports to the Jewish leaders that Jesus is the one who caused the law to be broken. It's all Jesus' fault. (laughs) So, what are the takeaways from today's portion of John? Let me give you a few. Faith isn't always a prerequisite for a healing or a miracle to take place. The man at the pool, I'm going to say this, had little or no faith. He didn't think he could be healed. But Jesus speaks, and he's healed. Second thing we notice is that a point of contact isn't always necessary for a healing or a miracle to occur. On both occasions... What happened? How did how did the healing or the miracle take place? He just spoke. There was no point of contact at all. Jesus just spoke the words, and it happened. The son was healed. This man got up and took his mat. So there isn't always a point of contact. Another thing that we notice is distance doesn't hinder or prevent a healing. Jesus spoke the words in Cana. The man. The boy's son was in Capernaum, 10 miles away, and he's healed. Another thing that we notice is miracles usually happen in an instant. And in both these situations, that's the case, isn't it? The boy's healed when Jesus speaks the word. The man's healed miraculously when Jesus speaks the word and tells him, pick up his mat. Another thing that we notice is that miracles and healings are an important part of kingdom activity, but they're not the foundation we need for building a sustainable spiritual life. That alone requires a personal relationship with Jesus. Something else we notice, and some of you are not going to like this but it's in the text. I didn't come up with this. Not everyone receives a miracle or a healing. You know what? I don't like that. And some of you don't like that. But here's the conclusion I've come to. Healings, miracles, signs of the kingdom, all fall under the mysterious sovereignty of God. Yeah. And how many of you in this room, and how many of you on that are on live stream understand there's a mystery to God? Yeah. And when we begin to think that we've got him figured out, I guarantee you we're going to be found wrong. Because God is bigger than our constructs. He's more magnificent than we've ever imagined. And he does what he wants to do. And sometimes that can be disappointing. Sometimes it can be even disillusioning. But the reality is he's God. And he does what he wants to do And he does it when he wants to do it. Like I said, sometimes I don't like the fact that God's sovereign. But most of the time, I'm very grateful (laughs) he is. And that he is in control. Another thing that we notice is our theology can blind us to the significance of kingdom activity. I wonder, since you became a believer, has your theology changed any? I want to tell you this, if it hasn't, then you're not growing in the Lord. Because we don't get it all in one swoop. We grow in our understanding of who He is and what what He does. And sometimes our theology can blind us to what God wants to do. It can cloud things up. And that's exactly the situation here. Those people... Those leaders were so concerned about the fact that this man was working. And do you know who gave definition to that working? They did. And so what they did, they didn't appreciate what God did. They were so myopic that they just focused on the laws that they had created and canceled out what God wanted to do. Shame on them, right? What well, I wonder, is it ever shame on us when we cancel out what God wants to do? Because it's, it's, it's so unexpected. In my life, I've seen God do some stuff that I, I have no explanation for. But I knew it was him. And what I discovered is that some people appreciated that he was doing it in me and glad he wasn't doing it in them. I remember a very good friend of mine. He didn't really appreciate what God was doing in me, and I couldn't explain to him what it was he was doing and why he was doing it. And and sometimes... Honesty, I got aggravated that God was doing it. But I didn't want to say, "Well now God, you know, I told you you could do what you want to do anytime, any place, anywhere, and you're doing that. So what am I going to tell you now? I don't appreciate you doing that. I take back what I told you, God. I remember teaching experiencing God, and people would say, oh, they'd write this stuff in their book, and they'd say, hey, God, you can just do it.' I said, be careful now. He's going kind to of saw that you wrote that in your book. And you said, God, you can do what you want. Anytime you want to do it, just go ahead and do it. And he goes, really? Well, here, let's just do that. And, and so he kind of does those kind of things. And you don't have... But anyway, back to the story. So this friend, he didn't understand, and I couldn't explain it to him, and I didn't know why it was happening. So we went to a conference. And guess what? God began to do in this person what he'd been doing in my life that he didn't appreciate. And I just tell you this, I know this is kind of selfish, but I was saying, go ahead, God, keep doing it. This is great, I love it. I was, it was almost like I was at a football game and saying, go, go. Because then he got to experience something that he couldn't explain either. And that was just what God wanted to do. Aren't you glad that God's not a cookie-cutter type of God? that he takes us in the uniqueness of who we are and does what he wants to do. The final thing that I noticed here is this. Sin may or may not be the reason for sickness. But what he says here is that, and indicates that sin always has consequence. You see, if you think that you can go ahead and sin, I just want to remind you what he said to the man. Don't sin anymore or you could experience greater consequences. Don't try to slip things by God. He knows everything about us. He knows what's going on in our life. He knows what we're we're doing. I want you to stand with me. I know this isn't on the script, but Josh and Andy, come on back up here, please. I just want, I just want to close this service out by us worshiping. the one who does miracles, the one who releases signs and wonders. I don't know what, what your need is this morning. You, you know that. You know the touch that, that you need from God. And so what I want us to do is just worship him. If you need prayer, there will be people up here that can pray with you. And I know it's a long ways from back there to here. But go ahead, take the chance. Let God touch you and release his kingdom activity. Before we begin to worship, I'm just going to pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are. We've come here this morning to worship you, to magnify your name. And you've come here to meet us where we are with the stuff that's going on in our lives. And so we just say, like you taught us, to pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done in this place and in our lives. Thank you that you're the God who's sovereign, who sits on the throne, who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything that we could ask or even think. And so, be glorified in and through our lives. There may be a word that you want to speak to us this morning. So we just say, Lord, speak in the stillness of our hearts. Speak and let us hear what you have to say. We're amazed. We we're amazed that you would use us to be a part of what you're doing. And so continue to do that and do that for your glory's sake. Thank you that you're in this place. You know the cries of our heart. And so just come and meet us in this place. I pray in Christ's name. And so we're just going to worship. That'll be our, our closeout. If you need to, to go ahead and leave, you go feel free to do that. But just take a moment just to worship him and allow him to do what he wants to do. And again, if you need prayer, there'll be people up here. Chuck will be up here. Stephen Paul will be up here. I'll be up here to pray with you if you need that prayer.